Grace and peace, love and mercy from God our Father, through Jesus Christ, our risen Savior and Lord. Amen. Text for our meditation this morning, this last Sunday in the church year, our Old Testament reading from Isaiah 65, especially the first three verses. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. So far, text, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. This world can be a breathtakingly beautiful place. Three weeks ago, my wife and I were sitting on the beach in Florida. Every day we would get up and watch amazing sunrises. And then we would see the dolphins swimming in the water. And then in the evening we would see even more spectacular sunsets. And I thought, you know, this is the same place. The same place where we saw the dolphins almost every day. The same place three years ago out of the same spot in the water where I caught a four-and-a-half-foot black-tip shark. And people were afraid to go into the water for days. We have learned to love and to fear this thing we call nature. Last night, I was watching on the news the uh, big snowstorm that's going on out on the uh, east coast, way up north. And they're showing the aftermath. And it was beautiful. Everything covered in a blanket of white. The sun was popping out. The sun dogs were glowing. And just a few miles away, in Orchard Park, New York, they were, and still are, getting pounded, the last count, 77 inches of snow. It's really beautiful, unless you're caught in the middle of a deadly blizzard. We have learned to love and appreciate the beauty and to fear this thing we call nature. I want you to think about it. We act and we talk as if nature has a mind and will of its own. That's ridiculous. We have weather. We have clouds. We have oceans and rivers. We have wind and so much more, but they don't have a mind and a will of their own. 
We talk about the laws of nature. Nature doesn't hold elections and pass laws and enforce them. No, we have a God, a creator God, who created all things and who still continues to control and work in and through his creation. We're confronted with that all throughout the Bible, and especially in readings like this from the last chapters of Isaiah. We have this uh, creator God who controls all things. Some translations of the Bible refer to God as sovereign. Eh, kind of a weak translation. It's a word that comes from the word of politics. We would do better to just translate simply Almighty. Because that's what God is. He is Almighty. He is all-powerful. This sometimes rises a bit of a conflict in our hearts and our minds. God is Almighty, which means He can do anything. God is all-powerful. There is nothing outside of His power and control. And we also know that God is good. God is holy. God is without sin. And He hates sin. So we have this God who is good... And this God who is almighty. And we wonder sometimes, what in the world are you doing, God? Why are you allowing this evil, this terrible thing to happen and persist? Well, maybe we don't say it out loud. We might be too pious for that. But we cer certainly think about it in our minds and in our hearts. We doubt God. We question God. We question His almighty power. Well, if God is powerful enough, why wouldn't He do this? Why wouldn't He stop this? So He, he must not be that powerful. Or even worse, we question the goodness of God. Oh. God must enjoy seeing evil flourish. Must get a kick out of it. Maybe he likes it. And so we have this supposed conflict between an almighty, all-powerful, all-creating God who is good and holy. We look at this and we see this conflict and some some have walked away from the faith over it. I can't worship a God who would allow evil things to happen in this world. I can't worship a God 
who isn't powerful enough to stop all the terrible things that are going on. They put God on trial according to their own standards. They try God, they convict Him, and they walk away. Here's what God's Word says about people who would put God on trial. Psalm 14. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The God who looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together, they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good. No, not even one. My friends, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. A fool puts God on trial and questions either the goodness or the almighty power of God. God's word is clear. Our good and almighty God is also a God who loves sinners, who is gracious to sinners. The people who want God to destroy all evil haven't thought through that very well. They haven't looked in the mirror. Because if God was to destroy all evil, that would mean he would wipe us out. All people right now. He would wipe us off the face of the earth and start over. But God is gracious. He loves sinners. He loves sinners so much that he sent his son to bleed and die and take away the sin of the world. 1 Timothy 2, passage that we hear almost every year on Thanksgiving Day. God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Our good and mighty God who is gracious and merciful towards sinners, promises today in our Old Testament reading, Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered. God promises that He will destroy all evil, he will create a new heaven and a new earth. Not only will He destroy all sin, He will destroy even the memory of sin. It's impossible for our simple minds to grasp. This new heaven and new earth will be a place of pure, 
unadulterated joy. No pain, no sorrow, no sickness, no death, no conflict, no evil. Pure joy. How will he do it? Here's the key, folks. He's already done it. He's already done it. Just a few chapters earlier in Isaiah, we're reading from Isaiah 65, Isaiah 52 and 53, he tells us how he's going to do it. How he's going to destroy evil once and for all. By sending a servant who will suffer. By sending one who will bear the sin of the world. Stricken, smitten, and afflicted for you and for me and for the life of the world. It will appear that he has, his name has been cut off. But he will be the chosen one of God. And he, he will bring victory for all people. My friends, this suffering servant, this Jesus Christ, cried from Calvary's cross, It is finished! Christ has done everything necessary to create this new heaven and this new earth. It's already done. It is finished. We have it now. And yet, in this world, we still suffer. We still sin. Because of this sin that clings to us like mud on a wheel, like, like salt on the undercarriage of a car. This sin, sin clings to us and we begin to wonder and to question and to doubt. What do we doubt? Is this forgiveness real? Is this, is this forgiveness that, that Jesus has earned? Is it enough? Or do I have to do something more? Do I have to add something to it? How can I be sure? How can I be sure that, that my sins are forgiven? Well, God's Word is clear. No unholy thing can stand before a holy God. That includes you and me. So, what are we to do? God's Word teaches us that no sinful thing can be in the very presence of God. So some, some have thought to create a way to solve this particular problem. These sins must be purged away. This sin that still clings to you and me must be purged away. It might take years, it might take decades, it might take centuries. 
We'll do this purging in a place of purging. We might even call it purgatory. There's one major problem with that. Oh, God's word is true. No holy thing can stand before a holy God. But the problem with this teaching is it doubts and denies the almighty power of God. God created this world by the power of his word. He spoke and things came into being. This word that he spoke took on flesh and blood and made his dwelling among us, taking up residence in the womb of the Blessed Virgin. This, this word was born, born to die. He placed himself under God's holy law and he fulfilled it completely for you and me for the whole world this Jesus went to Calvary's cross bearing the sin of the world your sin and my sin all sin that has ever been all sin that ever will be all sin that is being committed right now as I speak the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Our all-powerful God has already purged you of your sin. It is gone. Once and for all, it is gone. The almighty power of God died on Calvary's cross, rose from the grave victorious three days later, and your sins are forgiven. All of them. We act like, like heaven is, is this far, far, far away place. My friends, heaven is not that far away at all. Jesus, risen from the dead, ascended to the right hand of God, promises that wherever his word is proclaimed in its truth and purity, there he is. He's here right now with us in this humble building. Jesus promises that wherever his gifts are administered according to his command and promise, there he is. Jesus at the right hand of God, here, present, in, with, and under, bread and wine for us Christians to eat and drink. So that we can be absolutely certain that our sins are forgiven and that our name is written in the book of life. God wants you to be sure and certain right now that your sins are forgiven. That this new heaven and new earth is a present reality for you. My friends, now we live in this world and sin, sin is still here. And it brings us sorrow. And it brings us disappointment. And it causes us to question and to doubt. 
Doubt the holiness of God? Doubt the power of God. We are tempted to come up with, with all kinds of devices of our own making. But what God wants us to do simply is to hear the word of God and to believe the word of God. On this side of heaven, sin still clings to us. We are right now saints, holy and forgiven. And we are right now poor, miserable sinners. What does God want us to do? He calls us to look up. To lift up our heads. It's a major theme of our Advent season. Lift up your heads. Stop looking at your sin and your sorrow. Stop looking at your your doubts and your self-justification. Lift up your heads. Look to Calvary's cross where Jesus has bled and died for you. Look to Calvary's cross where Jesus is risen from the dead for you. Look to heaven where God has promised you that he prepared a place for you, for you, before he laid the foundations of the earth. And as we lift up our heads, we open our ears and we hear the promises of God. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And my friends, one day, We will forget our sin even as God has already forgotten it for Jesus' sake. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, keep our hearts our minds, our forgiveness, our joy in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. We stand and sing the offertory.